Hi, everybody. This is Sean from Pie Factory Podcast. Jim and I thought it would be kind of appropriate that we say a few things. Uh, you probably already know what I'm going to be talking about for the next couple of minutes. But, uh, of course, it's the terrible events that have unfolded on November 13th. So many things have been going on. Terror attacks in Paris. And there were earthquakes in Mexico, earthquakes in Japan. Uh, there were terror attacks in Baghdad and a couple of other places. It's just been a terrible week, and we just can't let this show go by without acknowledging it. So uh, our hearts go out to those who have been in some way directly or indirectly affected. And I do feel for the people of Paris and everywhere else where these horrible acts of terrorism are happening. I've mentioned before on the show that I live in Chicago. I grew up in the Chicago area. I've also mentioned that I lived in New Jersey for a while. I lived at the Jersey Shore for about eight years. And while I was there, September 11th happened, and that was a scary time. Where I lived at the shore was maybe about 15 air miles from Manhattan. My wife could see the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center on fire from her office. I could see the smoke from the burning buildings right at the beach two blocks from where we lived. It was a scary time. It really was. It was the only time I've ever actually feared for my life. After the fourth plane crash happened, all I could think of was, is this the end? What's next? I didn't feel good again until I woke up the next morning and realized I was still alive. And I can only imagine that this is probably what's happening with the people of Paris. They're probably going through the exact same thing, so my heart goes out to them. Now, my wife and I first heard about what was going on on the evening of November 13th when we were waiting to get into the Brian Wilson concert in New Buffalo, Michigan. I've mentioned before on this show that I'm a big Brian Wilson fan, and so is my wife. And ever since Brian Wilson started touring in 1999, almost every one of his shows ended with a song called Love and Mercy. And November 13th was no different. He also ended the show with that song. The lyrics are about basically the bad things that are happening in the world, violence, loneliness, things like that. But it has a simple refrain of hope, love and mercy. That's what you need tonight. So love and mercy to you and your friends tonight. And November 13th, those lyrics were just more poignant than they ever were. Now, something else that I remember about September 11th was even that very same day, I was just desperate desperate to just get on with life and resume things that I wanted to do just so that I could continue so I could move on and that's what we need to do now so I hope you enjoy this episode we're still going to have some of the uh, crazy humor that we always have had whether you like it or not and on behalf of Jim and everybody involved at the Pie Factory podcast either behind the scenes or on the receiving end we wish everybody love and mercy to you and your friends tonight says, wrecked them, darn near killed them. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh God, no, he did it. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, hey, everybody. Wow. Uh, welcome once again to another episode of uh, the Pie Factory podcast. Once again, from Morse, Illinois, this is Jimmy G. And yes, even his name says, is that a beer? It's... Oh, um, um, Sean. Yes. And his name does say, is that a beer? And uh, I bring that up because just today, as we're recording, it was announced that uh, Joel Hodgson is going to be 
starting a Kickstarter to raise two million smackers to bring Mystery Science Theater 3000 back. Uh, he wants to record three episodes and shop it around a little bit, see if anybody will pick it up again. Uh, they're going to have new hosts. Uh, so far, it's, it is confirmed that neither Mike Nelson nor Trace Beaulieu will be involved with this. Uh, so, But um, the, the other word I heard about it is that Joel is actually going to look for new hosts and new mad scientists, and he is planning on having cameos from some of the original cast members on it. So I think this will be kind of a good thing, and uh, I am going to be looking up for this. So in other news, I saw the movie Spectre over the weekend, the new James Bond. I love James Bond, and this movie did not disappoint me at all. Ignore the reviews. I had fun. It was the number one movie of the weekend, I think. Yes, it was. Oh, um, you know what I found out? I found out just this weekend that there was a gem movie. Gem and the Holograms. I had no idea. I saw a few uh, advertisements for it on uh, Nickelodeon, actually, while watching my kids watch SpongeBob, because I don't watch that show. No, nope. not at all. Uh, no, my, my wife and I went into the Lego store, and I look up, and there's an advertisement for this movie, I was like, oh, October? Is that next October? <laughs> I was it like, I never heard of it. Now it's they're pulling it from theaters. Yes, it lasted two weeks. <laughs> and uh, it's one of the rare cases where the movie studio is actually not going to release any of the financials for the film. Because it tanked oh, so man. badly. Wow. Um, oh, the, I don't remember. I think it was Variety picked the story up. And this is... I'm sorry, they're just some... When I heard they were making a movie out of this, I'm like thinking, yeah, this is going <laughs> to flop pretty bad. You are pretty not sorry bad. at all. What are you talking about? Yeah, no, I'm not sorry either. I don't have any financial snakes. Snake? I don't, I don't have one of those either. I don't have a financial... Watch out for those financial snakes. Watch out for snakes. Yes, I don't have any uh, financial stake in this one. So, um... Mmm, steak. Yeah. How was your weekend? Oh, boy. Wow. Thank you for asking. My weekend was kind of weird. Um, oh, I'll tell you what's really cool. Remember um, last time we recorded, I talked about how Hyde basically um, bequeathed me his old NES and a few games, and they weren't working? Yes. Guess what's working now? You've got a job. Yes. Yes, I do. Two, in fact. Ooh. Wow. Awesome. And the NES is working. Yeah, I got, I got the thing working. I took, uh, on Atari Age, I took Maxim Recoil's advice, and I well, went out and bought a uh, $1.97 can of Barkeeper's Friend and basically cleaned the living crap, and there was mm -hmm. living crap in this stuff, out of uh, the cartridge connector and the the contacts and all three of the cartridges that Hyde got me, and they're working. You mean the Zith socket? The zero insertions, these, yeah, the vir, the zero insertion flars, yeah, that thing. Words are hard. <laughs> uh, words, words, uh, words. Still a stupid design for the console. But more importantly, man, though, this EverDrive thing that I'm holding up in front of my webcam for all of our listeners to hear. Wonderful little thing. It's something else that I thought was really cool. Now, yeah, I, I keep going back to Atari Age all the but hey, that's my main video game source right there. I don't know if you saw it, but Bob De Crescenzo did it again. What did he do? He came up with this very interesting thing. You know, he did um, Atari 7800 conversions of Super Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man. Mm -hmm. He actually put 
them together into a single double-ended cart, like those old 2600 games that had like the Chuck Norris game. Zonics. Yeah, he, he did that for, for those two games. I don't think he's going to actually release them. I think he just did those out of curiosity, and he, he actually got them working. I thought that was the coolest thing. I thought it was reminiscent of Galloping Ghost because, you know, how uh, you know we were talking to Doc, and he was talking about how some of his machines have two motherboards in one to save space. Well, it just so happens that he has Junior Pac-Man and Super Pac-Man in the same cabinet. So this is basically a 7800 version of Doc Mac's uh, uh, Junior Super Pac-Man cabinet. Nice. Oh, speaking of Doc Mac, uh, we have oh, to bring yes. this up. I don't know if it's still going on or if it just finished as we were recording this, but uh, there was, and I don't remember the guy's name. I don't have the information up in front of me right now, but um, they have like, what, 481 games at the Galloping Ghost Arcade up there in yeah, Brookfield? Yeah, that John Hruza. John Hruza started yesterday trying to play every single one of the arcade games at Galloping Ghost in a 24-hour time span. Well, he didn't do that in 24 hours. Oh? As of an hour ago, it's been 32 hours into it, and as of an hour ago from when we are recording this, he's got 10 more games to do. Oh, dude. I didn't think he could do it just because of the nature of some of the games. And I believe he has some rules, like he can't purposely lose all of his lives. He yeah. has to normally play them. But there are some games out there where they just they just normally take time. Like uh, we've famously have mentioned the Terminator 2 thing with the minimum guaranteed playtime of uh, 90 seconds. And there's other games that do have, you know, minimum playtime or the things that just don't work to make your game shorter, if you will. So, you know, good luck to him. The whole thing was for charity, if I'm not mistaken. Well, not charity, but to raise funds to expand the arcade, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't it? It was a fundraiser? Yeah, it was to raise awareness. Raise awareness. Hey, look at this arcade. They want to expand it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It was funny because when we were talking to Doc, uh, I don't remember if we got it on the the interview we did, but uh, it was hilarious that the only other business in his building, in the building he's in, and it separates the office portion from the main arcade is a, a company that does airline food. <laughs> and they're trying to move them to a different place so that they can have that space for more arcade games. He wants to add like two or 300 more or something. Yeah, it's going to be freaking insane. Yeah, the, the, the place is insane. I mean, yeah, that's like the only complaint I have about Galloping Ghost these days, other than the cramped space, but there's nothing you can do about that right now, is that you go in, it's like, okay, where do I start? Yeah, I there are 400 and some games There's here. almost too many things to choose from. With that, uh, with all of our idle chit-chat out of the way, we need to start going into some addenda and errata before we get too much further into the show so oh crap does that mean we made mistakes and left some stuff out and other stuff well maybe just a little tiny bit you know a little all bit all right all right so uh, i don't have a whole lot although there was a discussion uh, on atari age and apparently there were a hell of a lot more games um, that have any things to do with bands than we were previously aware of. <laughs> there, there's a lot. Uh, but one thing I mentioned was, uh, I wonder what a freaking Goes to Hollywood game would be like. And wouldn't you know it, <laughs> there was a freaking Goes to Hollywood computer game. Oh, good God. Yes, uh, it was like a, sli- a side-scrolling platformer. Um, description here, this is off of Moby Games, says, I had never heard of this before and I've never played it. Playing a thoroughly drab, mundane, and predictable character, your aim is to become interesting enough to reach the Pleasure Dome. After discovering a gruesome murder, 
<laughs> Your interest in something greater than the routine of 80s Liverpool is awoken. You explore the streets and houses in search of a way out. The main basis of the game involves picking up objects and using them in the correct way. Most objects have more than one potential use, and misusing them is the only way the game can be lost. Uh, there are several sub-games along the way, including shoot 'em up a maze, and a jigsaw puzzle. Wow. Um, of course, they had a... Frankie Goes to Hollywood, their big album was uh, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome, and their big hit, the song Relax, was on there. Frankie says relax. Frankie says relax. Uh... But reading the description, after discovering a gruesome murder, suddenly I'm no longer interested in what a Frankie Goes to Hollywood game would be like. (laughs) So, um, looking at the cover here, and there's the band, and what is this? There's a thingy on here. Ooh, free special live courting of Relax was in the game. So, hey, you got that going for you. Yes, I color me intrigued. Of course, you know, the song uh, Relax is all about a... A certain activity that, uh, you know, I'm not going to talk about here, but there you go. But if you want this list uh, of games that were based on uh, based on bands or singers or whatever, uh, they have it at MobyGames.com. Uh, we will supply the link in the show notes. Eventually. Eventually. And uh, who do we have to thank for that? Oh, yes, it was S1500. He provided the link to us. So, thank you for the link. Oh, and uh, one of the games I have to download and try is Samantha Fox Strip Poker. So There you go. Yeah, to be fair, a lot of the games that people are mentioning are not really bands, but solo artists like Michael Jackson. Which is why we didn't mention Michael Jackson, because he's not a band. I, I would count him because he's a musical artiste. Uh, but what I what I don't count, what I but what I don't count are games like. Um, well, on this list, there was uh, one I noted was there was a, a special Snoop Dogg Call of Duty voice pack. I don't count that, and I don't. Yeah, and I, that is not a Snoop Dogg video game. That is a video game with Snoop Dogg. Now there was a game in two in 2013. For the Android, it was called Way of the Dog, so there's that, but yeah, I don't count that. I don't count the uh, the rock band or Guitar Hero games or no. anything like that, but there's, even if you pull all of those out, there's still quite a few, uh, yeah, quite a few games out there based on bands that I totally forgot about, like the Black Eyed Peas Experience, which I don't know if that was so much a game or whatever, but... Uh, you know, but still, these are home games and not arcade that's games. That's true. The only two that I can think of arcade games are indeed the two we mentioned: Revolution X and Journey. There could be a few others, but uh, well, actually, many arcades do have home games that you can play if you so desire. So maybe you can consider them arcade games. I don't know. I wouldn't do it because oh gosh, here's one for the iPhone that I definitely have to try: Christmas with Weezer. <laughs> Oh, say it ain't so. <laughs> it's Christmas right, with Weezer. Right <laughs> Christmas with Weezer. Oh, I have to check that out just to find out what it's what it's. <laughs> I just I, I just got to check that out to see what the whole brouhaha about it is. Christmas with Weezer. That should be the name of our holiday special. Christmas with Weezer. I just searched for that in the uh, in the app store. It's not there. No. So either it no longer exists, or it might be in the Cydia store for jailbroken iOS devices. Well, it was from 2008, so and it says it's a rhythm game. So it sounds like it's like a Guitar Hero type thing. Um, yeah. I have something similar to say about one of our games tonight. Uh oh. 
So, at any rate, that's all I've got to say. That's all I got to say about that. So, do you have any th- any additional addenda or errata? I have addenda, and this is actually going back two shows, because there are some things that I failed to mention and, and some questions that were, or at least one question that was unanswered. Remember how I said that there are monsters in Mr. Do? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Mr. Do yet again. Then again, I think the record for the, the biggest number of times we talked about a particular game spread over several episodes has been Firefox. Uh, that just, just added another one. The question was, the monsters who eventually dig through the dirt, will that monster eat the cherry or destroy the cherries or whatever? Yes. I got kind of confused. The, I, th- I, was th- I was thinking the cherry was the bonus thing because, you know, I'm so used to that from the pack. Man games, but no, the cherry is there on every single level. There are eight of them. Those are what you're grabbing under normal circumstances. And the answer, of course, is yes. Yes, they do. And something that I just recently noticed accidentally, if a guardian or an alpha monster is eating an apple, you can walk right through that monster. I did not know that. You pass right by him. So I guess if they're busy, they're too busy to attack you. I did not know that. One other thing I wanted to mention, I totally can't believe I didn't mention this. The music in Mr. Do, like the main theme going on through Mr. Do is Can Can, which seems to be a very common, uh, commonly used piece of music. But it's interesting, why are so many games using that? Off the top of my head, I can think Lemmings and uh, Home Systems used it, Tapper, Tapper used uh-huh. it. Like, why is that such a popular video game? Uh, That's a popular video game. A too. good question. I never even thought about that because when you think of songs, you think of that Bach Toccata and whatever, and Fugue and D and whatever. Uh, you know, it's in Donkey Kong Jr. and Gyrus, and I know I've heard it in other games as well. And it's in all the classic yeah. old, you know, black and white horror films and all that sort of thing. Uh, so if that is what that's probably the most played song in entertainment history, I would think, because it's public domain and it's creepy. But um, huh, I never thought about the Can Can one. Yeah, that one's got to be played quite a bit, too. If anybody out there knows any other games that, that song is in, please email us. We'll try to remember to read it. But I think that that's all I had to addend. Awesome. So uh, what shall we do now? Um... Why don't we talk about a couple of arcade games? Uh, sure. Let's talk about at least one arcade game. The other, the second game that we're going to be talking about is a little iffy, but technically it is an arcade game, So, but we'll talk about that one second. The first game we're going to go for heh, 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 is Crazy Climber. Ah, I see what you did there. Ah, I bet you're hoping you didn't. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so Crazy Climber, you're an intrepid climber trying to climb up the side of the building. And the reason you're the Crazy Climber is because you're nuts for trying to climb up this building. Now, I've never been very, very good at this game, although in recent years I have been able to get past the first building, not so much the second. There's many different things that are... Uh, that happens to you. First of all, to control your climber, uh, you start at the bottom of whatever. I mean, this game, oh, by the way, this game is by Nichibutsu, Nichibutsu, Nichibutsu. It's a company that begins with N. It's a Japanese company. Nintendo. It ends with a U. Namco. Nintendo. (laughs) Namco. Nintendo, Namco, Nichibutsu, Nichibutsu. I don't know. But um, to control the climber, you have two joysticks, uh, one for your left hand and one for your right hand. To move your left hand up, you push up. To move it down, you push down. 
Uh, same thing with the right hand. To move left or right, you have to move both joysticks to the right to move to the right. Both of them to the left to the move to move to the left. I've never pushed them both in, but if you push them both out, you kind of like spread your arms and legs out. To move up, you on the in the game, you have to push up on one uh, on one joystick while pulling down on the other, and then reverse, and then you just keep doing that to climb up. It's actually it's when you describe it, it doesn't sound like it's uh, it would be uh, very intuitive. But once you play the game, it it uh, actually makes a lot of sense the way they have it doing there. Yeah, you can actually get yourself in a groove. Yeah, yeah. You can actually... The building that you're climbing is huge, but if you get into a groove, you can actually, uh, you know, zip right up that thing uh, in, in some ways. At least zip through some sections. Your enemies in this game, there's, there's quite a few of them, and as I said, I've never made it past the second building. The, uh, the enemies you have... Oh, uh, before I go on, uh, when you reach the top of the building... There is a helicopter that comes down, and you have a certain amount of time to grab it. Uh, your ascent up the side of the building is timed, by the way. You get a bonus after the top. Uh, you get another bonus if you grab the helicopter at the top. Otherwise, when you reach the top of the building, you have a certain amount of time before it just moves to the next level. But if you grab the helicopter, you get bonus points. And that's that can be hard, but uh, you, can, it's, you can do it. You can easily master that. But The enemies that you have, uh, first of all, the most common one are the windows themselves. Uh, they open and close. And if they close on your fingers, you will fall to your doom. Oh, no! Another one that you have is you have the guy, you have some guys popping out the window throwing flower pots down on you. The flower pots are actually fairly easy to get by. If you have both of your hands up above you and a flower pot hits you, you release the, your grip on the building with one of your hands. And if a second one hits you, you release the grip of the building off of both your hands, and then you fall. It would take two hits from a flower pot if your hands are above you. If your hands are below you, one will knock you to the bottom because it bonks you on the head. The easiest way to deal with those is to put is when you see them coming down, just push and hold both joysticks up. What will happen then is if the uh, flower pot hits your hand, you'll automatically that hand will reach back up to the window ledge. Uh, you don't have to push it back up. So that way, if you get hit by two in a row, you have a better chance of surviving a hit from a flower pot. Just a little something there. A little further up the first building, you have <laughs> birds that come across. And some people say lay eggs. Uh, some say uh, they poop on you. Uh, to me, it looks like they're doing both, actually. And uh, you get hit by that. The uh, It works the same as the, as the flower pots, as far as I have been able to suss. So just, you know, if it looks like you're going to get hit by it, uh, just make sure that you have both joysticks pushed in the up position on that one. Then further up the first building, you have a gorilla. There's like two big windows on either side of the building at this point. And he'll appear on one side and he'll stick his arm out trying to knock you off. And then he'll appear on the other side and do the same thing. Uh, just timing to get past that. But uh, all the while, all of this other stuff is going on too, though. You've got to watch the windows that are constantly opening and closing. Uh, some of them open and close faster than others. Some of them are slower. Some will never open or close at all. Uh, but you really got to watch that because that that's kind of a little bit of randomness that can, uh, you know, totally mess up your strategy, as it were. Uh, and then eventually you get to the top of the first one. Then the second building, uh, all I've been able to suss from my play on the game Instead of flower pots, although there might be flower pots further up, I haven't, like I said, gotten too far on the second building. 
there are dumbbells and girders being thrown down at you. Those are fairly hard to avoid, especially right off the bat. And they don't work anything like the flower pots. One hit, no matter how you're perched on the building, will send you falling to your doom. That, in a nutshell, is Crazy Climber. One thing about the game, uh, graphically, to me it seems like the screen is a little crowded. Um, I'm not, that's not a complaint. That's just an observation. Uh, I think it does very well for the time it was released. Uh, was this, like a 81, 82 game? It was somewhere in that neighborhood. I don't recall. Well, it would be helpful to note that there are several home versions of this. Uh, of course, the Atari 2600 has one, and the Nintendo Entertainment System kind of sort of has one. I mean, it was released on the Famicom. Um, I actually did play Crazy Climber on Hyde's old NES, so I know oh, it really? works on there. Yeah. And it was actually pretty, it, it seemed pretty similar to the uh, the arcade version. The only thing is I couldn't figure out how to get it working. Yeah, I could have gone online and found instructions or something, but I didn't, okay? So sue me. But I played it, and I thought it was a pretty good representation. It was hard to figure out, though. Something else that we should talk about, by the way, is that as far as anybody can tell, Crazy Climber is the only double joystick arcade game that doesn't actually use a fire button. I mean, yeah, you could say Robotron, but one of the joysticks but actually is it's the pretty fire. much the fire and There mechanism. was another climbing arcade game called Firebug, I believe it was, which uh, had similar climbing mechanics, but it also had a fire button, which I believe was a trigger. I'm trying to think. I think you are right. Uh, you know what? There was a Crazy Climber 2. Only in Japan. Only in Japan. But we have covered Tinkle Pit. <laughs> So I think you could count that, but it's also a Crazy Climber game, so... And let's see, there were, the PlayStation had a Hyper Crazy Climber. Okay. Oh, and we didn't say, mention the most important thing about the Atari 2600 version. Oh? Uh, it's, extremely, it's an extremely rare game to find because it was only released through the Atari Club. It was not sold in stores. And I don't think even after uh, when Radio Shack had the catalogs, at one point Radio Shack, well, first of all, at one point there were Radio Shack stores, but at one point there were also, they had like this catalog in the back of the store you could order stuff through. And for a while, they actually had Atari games in there. That's how I bought Gravatar for my 2600, which I really like that game, even though it's hard as hell. And Crazy Climber wasn't even listed in there. So you're if you find it on eBay, you're going to be paying a pretty penny for this game. And it's interesting because the 2600 version of Crazy Climber is well known for its cheats. I believe if you turn the right difficulty switch to A, uh, it'll turn on a whole slew of different uh, different cheats for the game, which uh, I found interesting that they left them in there and pretty easy to, to easy to get at. And it's not like they were Easter eggs; they're actual cheats that they put into it. And I have played through emulation the 2600 version. It's actually pretty works pretty well with only having one joystick. If you have uh, Stella on your PC, the which is the Atari 2600 emulator, you might want to uh, give it a whirl. It's a it's a fun uh, it's a fun translation. It's pretty well done. Graphics are kind of sparse, but it is 2600. But uh, they they work. They get the job done. So you might want to try that one out. But uh, you were saying there was a Hyper Crazy Climber? Yeah, uh, it was uh, another only Japan release. It was on the PlayStation. Um, um, you can actually choose a character, and each character has its own little features. 
There's also, also for the PlayStation, although I think this wasn't Japan only, there was Crazy Climber 2000, which used 3D graphics. And you could actually play the uh, arcade Crazy Climber on it as well. And it, if you play the arcade Crazy Climber on that particular game, you also get a scan of the instruction panel. Oh, fascinating. You said you could play the original Crazy Climber in it. Is it an unlockable or is it something available from the main menu? Um, that I don't know. That I really don't know. I, yeah, that's the thing. I don't know PlayStation very well. I really don't. I've got one. I just don't have this, the equipment to hook it up to the TV. Wife picked it up for... For very little money at a garage sale in the area, but oh, I awesome. just don't have the the stuff to hook it up. So I really want to check that out. Maybe I'll get it modded so I could play games from Japan and I could have a first-hand experience with it. There you are. And also in only Japan, there was Crazy Climber Wii for the Nintendo Wii. It came out in 2007. Oh, really? Yep. And from what I gather, there is also a ver uh, the arcade version of Crazy Climber was released on the Virtual Console, also only in Japan, aka VC, which is a specialized section of the Wii Shop Channel and Nintendo eShop online services that allows players to purchase and download games and other software from Nintendo's Wii and Wii U home gaming consoles and the Nintendo 3DS portable gaming console. That's according to a anonymous source, by the way. Oh, an anonymous yes, source. Yes. So were they wearing a Guy Fox mask? Guy Fox, indeed. This being so close to November fifth, and they want to restore the papacy as well. Yeah, I believe so. Yes. Oh, sweet. Interesting to note with uh, with Crazy Climber, uh, when you're playing it on Mame on your PC, it's probably best to get one of those controllers that's got the two joysticks on oh, it. Oh yeah. Well, really, any game in the arcade that has two joysticks, you're going to really, really want a controller that has the two thumb things it just makes it a little easier although i have noticed that on my controller first of all i got to get a new one because i think there's a problem with the cable because it just keeps not registering for some reason but you got to watch because if if you when you're in a groove sometimes if you accidentally move your thumb on the uh, control stick just a little bit to the left or right it'll kind of register that as a left or right movement and put you out of your groove a little if you will and i will so you might you you'll want to watch that a little bit, but for the most part, that's the only way to play play any uh, two joystick games um, on your PC. And also with the with the PlayStation, PlayStation pretty much was set up like that in a way. If you had the DualShock controller for the original PlayStation, uh, otherwise you had the thumb control and then four buttons that were laid out in a crossfish. And I imagine that's probably not really good for playing the game. But yeah, but, I uh, I just could not play this in Mame. I really could not. Did you have a controller? I did not have... The thing is, like, I have... I... You know what? Maybe I should try and just plug into... Well, the thing is, I only have one USB... All my joysticks are for the 9-pin Atari-style ports, so I... And I have one uh -huh. converter. One USB uh -huh. converter. So it's like, I'm stuck with just one joystick. But yeah, you really do need those two joysticks. I can handle the real arcade game. I really can't. I suck at the real arcade game, but at least I, I can actually get in that groove I was talking about before. But yeah, in MAME, especially if you're only using a keyboard, man, good luck to you. You know, I've mentioned in the past how the USB controllers for the uh, Xbox, uh, Xbox One, 360, whatever, will work on a Windows PC. I wonder if those will work on a Mac PC. Possibly. They're plug and play on Windows PC, but I would imagine since it's USB that there's got to be a driver for them somewhere. Oh, I know I'm sure there's of it. 
I know there's controllers out there for the Mac. I mean, they're, 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 there's no way there isn't. There was one other thing I was going to mention about Crazy Climber. Um, oh, yes. Do you remember the first time you played that? Or was it more recently? I always knew of Crazy Climber existing, but I never actually saw it out in the wild when I was a little tyke. I do remember playing it in MAME over the years and how I just could not get a handle on it, literally and figuratively. I played it at Galloping Ghost a few times, and it's like, oh, okay, this is much better, much better. I remember the very first time I played this was once again at... Aladdin's Castle, Louis Joliet Mall. You are wrong! Yay! <laughs> it was at the Sound Investment Record Store in downtown Plainfield, Illinois. Ah. The One of the best record stores back in the day. Or, uh, no! Oh, uh, oh that hurts. Page two. One of the best record stores from back in the Ferg. And um, they only had a, a handful of games there. Uh, they swapped them out from time to time. But I remember from the very first time ever playing Phoenix, as we mentioned previously, Crazy Climber and Kicks, uh, which is a game we have to talk about sometime in the future, which is a fun game I like. But yes, Crazy Climber always sucked at that game. And, I, and now that I think about it, I want to think I saw... Crazy Climber at more than just one place in the Plainfield area. Uh, I know I don't think I ever saw it in any of the big arcades, but I want to think I, saw, I know I saw it at Sound Investment, but I want to think that like I saw it also at uh, Nabby's Beef in uh, Plainfield as well. And if you're ever and that place is still open, if you ever get to Plainfield, Illinois, you want a good Italian beef sandwich or just good solid Chicago type food, go to Nabby's in Plainfield. It's one of the best joints in in. It's just one of the best. Uh, it's just one of the best joints for burgers and beef and that sort of thing. I'd I'd put it up against Portillo's any day. Portillo's another local uh, dining establishment that's uh, really really high on quality and price. But there you go. But um, yeah, so I've seen that at a few places, and it's a. Uh, I sucked at it. I was never very good at it. Uh, I was playing it just yesterday, and again I got to the second building, but the Freaking dumbbells and and girders just always knock me right out. Um, there is one other enemy in the game that I know of, and it is a sign that hangs on the side of the building, and there's an electrical cord oh, yeah. that hangs down from it, trying to zap you to knock you off the building. Kind of works in a way like the uh, like the ape with his arm, but he's uh, fairly easy enough to avoid. I, I suck at the second building. I can't get very, very far on it yeah, at all. I think once I cleared the first building. This is a tough game. I'll tell you, it's a tough game, but it's not so tough that I get so frustrated that I don't want to play it. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention about the game, and I'm always forgetting to mention things. At the very, very left-hand side of the screen, there actually is like a graphic representation of the entire building. And you can see how far up the building you've climbed based on... Uh, there's like a dot on the screen. It'll show you exactly where you are on the building. So you can be playing and climbing and climbing and thinking you're near the top. Oh, I'm only halfway. The buildings are big. It takes a while to clear a building. As you were saying, and this is a fun game. It's, a, it's, it's hard, but it's not a frustrating hard. Yeah, and I wasn't able to find an answer for this, but I'm wondering if the reason that this game exists is that there was this whole craze of, I don't know if it was just one guy or if it was a, a fad back in uh, the early 80s. I remember particular one guy who, depending on which news source you referred to, called himself Spider either Spider-Dan or Spider-Man Dan. 
he would climb up all the, all these tall buildings. He climbed the Sears Tower. I think he climbed uh, the Empire State Building, maybe the World Trade Center Twin Towers. The Sears Tower one was interesting because he climbed up it using suction yeah. cups. What he wasn't counting on was a thin layer of grease on the windows to prevent debris and dust or whatever from sticking to him. So he would, like, clamp on, and then s- suddenly his, his suction cup would start sliding down, so he had to fast unclamp it and go up, and he had to really book up there. And the thing that sucked is uh, I remember uh, firemen were out on the window-cleaning scaffolds, and they were trying to spray him off the side of the building when he was, like, several hundred feet up. You're trying to kill him? I know. Just don't. I do recall when he climbed the Sears Tower, they arrested him when he got to the top of the building. Do that. But don't try to kill him. I mean, come on. I think they find him, too. I think they find him a dollar for every yes, floor. Yes, yes, they did. And what's hilarious is after he became like the toast of the town here in Chicago, he got really famous off of his uh, Sears Tower climb that a local formalware store, I th- want to think it was Genghis Formalware, had a commercial with him, and he goes, Now that I have climbed the tallest buildings, I've become more the social climber. Weddings, parties. And so I go to Ginkus Formalware, and at the end of it, he looks at his watch and goes, Oh, time to go. And then he, like, starts walking up a wall. <laughs> walking up of it. You, like, you could tell there was a bad edit where you could tell that they rotated the set, and he just started walking normally. Um, we'll try to find that commercial. <laughs> and if, we, if we find it, we'll post it in these show notes. Yes, Spider-Dan. The reason he was called Spider-Dan is because he was dressed like Spider-Man, by the way. Now, this is interesting. I wondered if this game existed because of because of him. Well, I just did a quick uh, look-see. Crazy Climber came out in 1980. The first of, his, of uh, Spider-Dan's historic climb was May 25th, 1981. Ah. That's when he climbed the Sears Tower. But here's the thing. Crazy Climber was released in America in 1982 so maybe it was already in japan they saw him going on they think hey let's release this in the u.s that might be because by that time he had climbed the sears tower and the john hancock center here in chicago he climbed the renaissance tower in dallas and the centro simon bolivar towers and parquet central complex in caracas venezuela oh so he already made five huge climbs as of february 1982 so that might have been something very fascinating. I'm going to have look more up about him. He seems, he seems like a very, very fascinating individual. I'm pretty sure I heard he had passed away a while back, but I'll have to look him up. Um, no, he didn't. And in fact, on March 1st, 2014, he climbed the Telephonic Building in Santiago, Chile. Oh, no way. He's still at it. Way. Or at least as of last year. He's got to be pushing 60. Oh, he turned 60 three days ago from when we're recording this. Oh, wow. <laughs> Are we nothing if not timely? I'm telling you. Yes, I'm telling you, too, because otherwise, who would tell me? Belated happy birthday, Dan Goodwin. Ah, Goodwin. I was wondering what his last name was. I re- okay. Happy belated birthday, Dan Goodwin. May you... Actually, his birthday more. was on time. It wasn't belated. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, Crazy Climber, they had that um, on the Arcadia 2001, PlayStation oh. 2, PlayStation 4, Wonder Swan... We haven't talked about that in a while, have we? <laughs> Wonder Swan. What wasn't that my nickname in college? Yes. No, that's that's, that's a uh, Bandai produced handheld console released only in Japan. Something about Crazy Climber. They only want Japanese people to play it. I that don't know. sounds like it. See, uh, and the Sharp X sixty eight thousand also had it. 
That's a console I'd like to get my hands on. That's a weird looking console. It actually looks kind of like a Wii in a way. Does it? Yeah. As I said, that is one I would like to get my hands on. I'd like to see what that one's all about. I was wondering how I scored on my best attempt at Crazy Climber, and I realized I don't have an entry for it on Arcade.com, which tells me that I was too embarrassed to have anybody at Galloping (laughs) Ghost officiate my score. So that basically tells you how much I suck as compared to, um, say, Jim Wright, who on July 5th, 1982, using the three lives setting on the machine, scored 487,150. Yeah, that's according to Twin Galaxies. And by the way, the dates that I say about Twin Galaxies, those are when they were verified, not necessarily performed. The scores might actually be verified possibly months after they actually happen, because especially they're submitted on tape or DVD. Okay, you know what? The way they do that, you submit the tape or DVD for it to be verified, make sure everything's on the up and up, and then you have to watch the whole play session. That's got to be freaking boring. And you can submit it online. In fact, I think nowadays you can only submit your your video, but your video play online. I might be wrong about that, but uh, there's also a option to start with four lives and Jason Cram uh, holds the world record for that. According to twin galaxies at 301,950. And that was verified November 21st, 2003. What's interesting is that twin galaxies only lists four scores total for the four lives option. And they're all from 2001 and 2003, which tells me, that they only started adjudicating that setting not terribly long ago, and they haven't uh, had any submissions for that since that they've at least offic- made official. So I don't I don't know what's up with that. That's that's kind of interesting. Hmm. But then again, there are probably going to be people slamming us for not knowing why. But oh, of course. <laughs> anyway, according to uh, Arcade.com, uh, Mr. Four Lies world record holder Jason Cram, uh, they have him as scoring 312,250 on the Three Lives option, which was achieved on May 29th, 2009 at the Fun Spot 11 main tournament. I want to visit Fun Spot sometime. I know we've oh, got... Yeah galloping ghost here and we've got underground retro we got all the barcades and whatever here in the chicago area king of the arcades but uh fun spot's kind of like a legend i just want to check it out just once in my life but i don't know if i'll ever 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 be able to get out there at least not in the near future at any rate yeah i have no reason to go to new hampshire so i don't know i've got a few reasons actually but oh and one thing that i, that I just found out is that i will have a free day when uh, my wife and i are in new jersey like where i have to occupy my own time i just briefly considering taking a trip to richie knuckles i would say go for it i would say go for it because you're only going to be out that way yeah but i'm gonna have three hours free it'll take like an hour just to get there so i I don't know yeah if that's all the time you got it might not be worth it i might go to yesterday's i'm considering silver ball which is a primarily a pinball quote-unquote museum they have a handful of video games too you know sean when i was a young boy i played the silver ball Oh, really? Where? From Soho down to Brighton. I must have played wow. them all. Have you seen anything like it? Not in any amusement hall. Interesting. But what I find it even more interesting is that Jason Cram, who holds the Twin Galaxies world record for four lives in Twin Galaxies, actually scored more with three lives, according to his Arcade.com record. Not unheard of. I'm sure that there's... I, 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 I mean, there's there, Everybody gets a flash of inspired play every now and then to propel them to newer and greater heights as it were so not a surprise as it were we should mention uh the musical selections that are in crazy climber oh oh yes it has music 
aka Whiny Whiny by Willie One Blood. Uh huh. Well, actually, it's Baby Elephant Walk by Henry Mancini. Uh huh. And they also used the Pink Panther theme in that game, also by Henry Mancini. So it's interesting. Where in the game does he use that? I don't recall it. Well, that's what I was about to get to, because apparently there's also the entertainer in the game. I have never been good enough to hear either of those last two. I Baby Elephant Walk, you hear every time you start. And what's interesting is that Baby Elephant Walk and the Pink Panther theme, at least at the time the game was out, those were copyrighted works. So I wonder if they had to shell out a lot of money for that, or if they somehow got away with not doing that. I would say they probably got away without doing it. There's a lot of... Uh, uh, the early arcade industry is well known for uh, you know stealing musical selections. Uh, or it could be that it was just too early in the industry that people just didn't know that there was any problem with it, too. Uh, maybe And maybe just the recording industry was like, hey, free advertisement, you know, like radio used to be. Well, what did you think of the game? It's a very, very difficult game, at least for me. I have a hard mm-hmm. as hell time playing it, but I still like it. It was never frustrating enough for me to say, oh, this game sucks. I'm not going to play it again. I always come back to it. I like it. It's unique. The concept is unique. The control is definitely unique. And the control is perfect for the game, too. It really, really is, because it's really the best way you can simulate climbing using only two joysticks. As I said before, it doesn't. when you describe it, it doesn't sound like it would be a good control setup, but it, it really once is. you grab a hold of the two joysticks, it's extremely intuitive. You know, because of its uniquity... <laughs> Uh, is that an actual? It's a word now. It's a word. because of its uniquity, because of the uniqueness of the controls, the uniqueness of the game, and the voice in it. It sounds this, like yes? it sounds like it's sampled. It doesn't sound generated. And you know what the awesome thing about it is, is that you'll be climbing, and every now and then you'll hear "Go for it,", Go for it. like kind of like egging you on, like giving you that little boost of morale, as it were. I thought that was just extremely clever and. Uh, well, maybe, well, yeah, I thought it was clever, and I thought it was uh, quite the nice touch. Yeah, and the thing is, when you play it in MAME, they're not sample files. They're actually part of the ROM. So that tells me, that makes me wonder, are these actually generated and not digitized? Because if that is, then, man, that's amazing. It's very, very good. It sounds too real, though. Yeah, it does. It sounds really, it sounds like a cartoon character. Yeah. So I'm going to have to, with all that considered, and really, I can't, I don't really find any faults in this game other than the difficulty. I'm going to rate this four continues. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a four continues. It's a classic. It's more of a minor classic, but it's still a classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, Everybody knows about Crazy Climber. It is a fun game. It's a hard game. But as we said, it doesn't seem like any of the deaths are really cheap. No. And and, um, (laughs) there's no continues in the game. And it's what it's a game you you can definitely get good at. There's there's really little to fault with this game other than the difficulty, and the difficulty is what keeps it from getting a five, I would say. And I will say this: it does seem that the difficulty does seem to ramp up nicely, though. Yeah, uh, it doesn't start out horrible hard, but uh, you get to that second building, you know, all bets are off. As I itch my ear. All right, with that, I think we should probably move on, shall we? Um, I say we move on. I say we move on as well. And this is going to be an interesting game that we're going to be talking about here. Uh, because this game 
There were only ever, from what I understand, six total cabinets made of this game for the arcade ever. They were pretty much put out as a promotional device for a major motion picture. And we are, of course, talking about the game from the movie The Piano. Now, no, 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 I kid. I kid! I kid Dude, because I, I care. I played that game all freaking two weeks since our last episode. Now you're telling me we're not doing the game from The Piano? No, no, we're not doing the game from The Piano. Oh, you... Oh... That's I quit. Find yourself another podcasting partner. <laughs> the uh, the game we're talking about is Fix It Felix Jr. Now this is going to be an interesting one, as I said, because they were there were only six arcade cabinets made. Uh, they were made as a promotion for the movie Wreck It Ralph, which Wreck It Ralph Two is in production currently. And the game you have a character named Fix It Felix Jr. and Wreck It Ralph is destroying the building, and in the game. Your job is fix it, Felix, is to climb the sides of the building, fix the windows and windows and doors, get to the top of the building, at which point the people who reside in the building throw you over the edge. They don't. Th- they throw Ralph over the edge. I'm sorry. Yes, they throw Ralph over the edge. They Ralph over the edge of the building. And every now and then, Ralph, uh, while you're playing the game, will pound on the building, throwing bricks down at you. And every now and then, a goose will fly from left to right and those will knock you off the building. Those are the only real enemies you have in the game. Every now and then, one of the townsfolks will appear at a window and put a pie out for you. If you get the pie, you fix the windows faster, and I believe it also makes you invulnerable from stuff falling off of the building, the bricks or the the goose. It makes you invulnerable to the bricks. The goose will just fly right past you instead of into you, and you can also climb over the piles of rocks that build up from time to time. Piles of rocks that build up? Yeah, once in a great while, that, well, I shouldn't say once in a great while, but after the first building or two, after the first level or two, from time to time, bricks that fall down, they'll kind of suddenly stop and form a pile. I did not Between see a couple this. of ledges. And if you try to cross those bricks, you die. I never saw this. Unless you are Super Felix, as they call him. Now, I do know that uh, every now and then there will be a, uh, I believe it's a red vertical barrier or a blue horizontal one that you cannot go through on the building, but I didn't know about these other bricks. Yes. Should we talk uh, a little bit about the plot of the movie Wreck-It Ralph? Yeah, we should. Okay, basically, uh, Wreck-It Ralph spends all his time in the Fix-It Felix game, and he's tired of being the bad guy. And you know what that reminds me of behind blue eyes by the who that song was supposed to be for a Pete Townshend project that basically too difficult for the who to be able to reasonably pull off. So they canceled it. It was called life house mm-hmm. and behind blue eyes was the song sung by the bad guy, basically lamenting that he's the bad guy. He's like, you people don't understand. It's hard. <laughs> So that's what this the whole Wreck-It Ralph premise made me think of. Now, for those of you at home keeping score, that is two, count of two Who references in this episode so far. Two Who. Two. Two, two, two. So, so yeah, so he's tired of it. So he goes around the arcade trying to find, uh, trying to find a way to become a hero. So he goes into a game that's a lot like Call of Duty, and uh, he mucks things up there. And then he goes into some sort of like Mario Kart type game. And he goes in there and he befriends this little girl and come to find out that, the, the, you know what, see the movie. The movie's really good. There's a lot of cameos in there. The little girl's name is Vanellope and voiced by Sarah Silverman. Wreck-It Ralph is voiced by uh, 
John C. Riley. John C. Riley and Fix It Felix Jr. is voiced by Jack McBrayer. And what's okay. interesting is that I never really noticed it from the game, but Fix It Felix Jr. kind of looks like Jack McBrayer, too. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know who that is. <laughs> Oh, I feel bad for you. Anyway, yes, rent the movie. It's a great film. Uh, a lot of video game cameos, as I said. Qbert's in there. Sonic. Bowser uh, is in there. I understand that Mario's actually going to be in the sequel, so that should be something to look forward to. And they even pay kind of a tribute to Walter Day in that movie, too. They do? The arcade owner. Ah, yes. Mr. Litwack, voiced by Ed O'Neill. He wears a referee shirt, just like uh, Walter Day. Really? That was Ed O'Neill, Al Bundy. Yep. The only thing is that it's obviously like 80s Walter Day because he just had a mustache, and nowadays Walter Day has a full beard. That is sweet. I don't think he ever wore glasses, though, unlike Mr. Litwack. That is that is sweet. That is a, it's a great game, and one of the things I love most about the movie is how Hubert actually plays a little part in the plot. Oh, that was, yeah. I, I thought that was kind of neat, and I understand he's going to have a bigger part to play in the sequel. So that's going to be neat to see. But that's that's the movie. Uh, we basically explained the game. The, the graphics in the game look like a classic Nintendo-type game. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, weren't the cabinets all originally Donkey Kong Jr. cabinets that they refurbished and put, this, uh, put the game in? They're definitely Nintendo-style cabinets. Underground Retrocade has one. And, and since we talk about our memories of first playing games... My first memory of Fix-It Felix Jr. was actually the first time I went to Underground Retrocade. Uh, had to have been 2012. Yeah, 2012 it had to have been. October 2012. And I had never heard of Wreck-It Ralph at the time. I didn't know that. that I, I saw that. I was like, oh, man, they really got some obscure games here. I don't even remember that one. I mean, that's how convincing that cabinet was. I actually thought it was a real vintage 80s game that I somehow missed. And, you know, we don't normally talk about the hardware or anything of these machines because that's we're not really really a, a techie-type podcast. We let Mike McGinnis and company take care of that. Yeah, they do a really good job with that sort of thing over at No Quarter. Uh, so, shout out to Mike and co-host over there. Jeff. Jeff, thank you. So, um... The uh, Fix-It Felix Jr. machines are pretty much all just PCs in there playing Fix-It Felix Jr. as a Flash game. And if I'm not mistaken, it's the same code that you play when you go to games.disney.com, which is where the uh, the main game is hosted. In fact, even though I saw it at Underground Retrocade when I was there, I never played it. First time I ever played it was online. But yeah, I mean, it's just a Flash game that you're playing. It's very, very convincing looking, like a, a classic game from the uh, from the 82-83 era. A classic Nintendo game from the 82-83 era, I should say. And I should also say, there are actually two different versions of it. There's the Flash version, and then there's the version that was done in C++, which is a little bit more fleshed out, a little bit truer to what you see in the movie. Oh, I did not know there were two versions. Yeah, and I, I believe that most of the game... Oh, by the way, we should also mention that Carrington Vanston owns one of the Fix-It Felix machines. Former co-host of No Quarter. Former co-host of No Quarter. I know he's got a billion other podcasts that he's done over the he's years. He's got like an Apple, an Apple II podcast. Yeah. And then, I know he does one now. I don't remember what, though. Yeah, he's, got a, he's on a bunch. Yeah, but yeah, he, was, he, he lucked out big time, was able to get one for a pretty... Amazingly low price, yeah. <laughs> yeah for a song, so, and he literally did have to sing a song. 
Yeah, and he has a vi- he has a video on YouTube where he demonstrates it. I'll have to put a I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, but continue about what you're saying about two different versions. Yeah, two different versions. There's the Flash version, which is what you can play on the web, and there's also uh, the C plus the version that was done in the C plus plus programming language, which I think is actually the more I don't want to say it's the more common version because they're actually all pretty obscure now because Disney retired the game last year and they basically took it down off of everything almost you can still find it online mm-hmm. but the uh, the C++ version if I'm not mistaken it, uh, well first of all I know this is better this I, I know for a fact that the C++ version has much better animation it's much smoother and everything uh, Felix will actually there was I, I played the Flash version not too long ago and I did notice it had a lot of limitations. Like I think Felix might only be facing one side under certain occasions, but on the uh, C plus plus version, he can you know turn around and face both sides. Very smooth uh-huh. animation. Um, I believe that most, if not all, of the arcade cabinets have the C plus plus version, and I think even a few of the cabinets um, have the in the movie. If you watch the movie Wreck-It Ralph, when someone plays Fix-It Felix Jr., there's actually digitized sound in it. You will hear Ralph say, I'm going to wreck it. You will hear say, you will hear Felix Jr. say, I can fix it. Huh. And, of course, that is in the voices of uh, John C. Riley and Jack McBrayer. Some of the arcade versions have that. Some don't. The version at Underground Retrocade, if I'm not mistaken, does not have the digitized voices in there. And from what I can tell, it looks like there might even be two different versions of the cabinet. Really? Some versions of the cabinet have a joystick. I think Carrington's has an ambidextrous joystick, meaning that it's in the middle of the cabinet. Some cabinets have the Nintendo style force you to be left-handed whether you like it or not. And two buttons, one for jump, one for fix. Now, what I don't understand is I don't think the jump button does anything. Because I remember play, when I played this at Underground Retrocade, only one of the buttons actually does it, and that's the um, the fix button. That's the way it's always been. I don't know if... Right? And I have seen a picture of a cabinet that only had a fix button. And what really gets me is that in the high score table, when you enter your initials, it tells you, use the joystick to pick your letters, and it tells you to press jump to go to the next letter. Well... At least the one in Underground Retrocade, there's no real jump button, but if you hit fix, it does advance to the next letter, so I don't know. And I don't really understand why there would be a functional jump button. In fact, if you go online and play it, there's no jump option. No, there isn't. And when Felix moves, he actually is kind of jumping. I almost wonder if that might be one of, as I said before, uh, I, I thought that the cabinets were all recycled Nintendo cabinets. I wonder if that's just a holdover from the cabinet. Well, then why would they have two buttons, one of which doesn't work? Somebody screwed up at the cabinet factory? I don't know. Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. Why would? That game doesn't need a jump button. Basically, going back to uh, what Jim said earlier, because this is basically a Flash or a C++ game, you're not going to find a MAME ROM for this, at least not in any of the commonly used MAME sites, because this wasn't really an arcade cabinet game. Any arcade cabinet you find is basically an arcade cabinet with a PC in it uh, running the game. And as we said also, there are only six actual cabinets that were ever made. And we know of the location of two of them. So the other four... I know of three. 
Oh, where's the third one? Well, there's Underground Retrocade, of course. Right. And then Carrington Vanston. Carrington Vanston has one. And um, another arcade I've been to a few times and I might be going to again in a couple of weeks. Yestercades in Red Bank, New Jersey. Ah, so we know the location of three of them. So if you can find one of these machines, you will be very lucky. Now, here's a little caveat, though. If you look up arcade.com, there are actually 10 listed Really? There's one at Fun World in Nashua, New Hampshire, one at High Scores Interactive Arcade Museum in Alameda, California, one at Pinball Wizard Arcade in Pelham, New Hampshire. Interesting, there are two two New Hampshire arcades listed here, but not Fun Spot. Richie Knuckles in Flemington, New Jersey. Of um, course. Underground Retrocade. Yestercades in Red Bank. Um, and four listed at Starcade in Anaheim. And even if you don't count all four of those, that actually brings the total up to seven plus the one that Carrington has. So that might mean that some of these are not actual original Disney cabinets. They might be reproductions. They might be custom cabinets. Or the listing in Orcade is out of date. That could be it, too. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe the one in New ha- the one we said that was had two locations in New Hampshire may have moved from Arcade to Arcade. That's very possible. Because New Hampshire is not a big state. And I kind of want to flesh out a little bit more about the game itself, the actual Fix It okay. Felix Jr. game. Now, why is Ralph being the bad guy here? Well, it's because where he lived in Niceland, that's the name of the uh, town, I guess, uh, he lived in a forest home and he was dislocated when they built the apartment building that, all, that uh, Fix It Felix Jr. is fixing. And mm-hmm. that made it basically made him mad that's why he threatened to wreck the building he's kind of like uh kind of like donkey kong in the original donkey kong yeah he wasn't he wasn't really he mario the the backstory if you looked at that one mario was actually pretty a pretty bad order and donkey kong was his pet and so if you're going to be a bad order what are you going to do i mean if you're going to be treated bad what you're going to do i mean you're going to lash out and kind of the same uh same story with uh wreck it ralph yeah and what's crazy is, like, you can think of Fix-It Felix Jr. as kind of a combination of Donkey Kong for obvious reasons, because, you know, Fix-It Felix is basically the analog to Mario, especially when he uses the magic hammer that he inherited from Fix-It Felix Sr. They never did talk about what happened to Fix-It Fix it Felix Sr. Oh, if anything did, he might still be around. But yeah. yeah, that's not in the movie. In fact, it's because of the movie that I know that that's a hammer. Because for the longest time, I thought it was an axe. And I was like, so what have we learned from, from video games? Well, we learned from video games that, well, frogs can't swim, and that an axe can fix windows. It's a hammer. It's a magic hammer. It pretty much fixes anything. And I should disclose, by the way, that I did not actually see Wreck-It Ralph until two days before we recorded this. And I'm going to admit, part of the reason I didn't see it is because I'm kind of anti-Disney and I don't want to get into that. But friends have told me, no, you got to see it. It's really, really good. And also a big thing that I kind of learned recently is that Pixar is not Disney. It is a separate company. It's just that Disney distributed the film. Pixar actually made it. So it's like, okay, all right, fine, I'll watch it. But yeah, I, I love the movie. I really did. I really enjoyed it. Pixar, I don't think, did have anything to do with Wreck-It Ralph. They made it. I think Pix... Are you sure? Yeah. I don't think they did. Because it was a Disney production. Usually, if something's Pixar, it'll have Pixar written all over it. And I remember distinctly, it was Disney's Wreck-It Ralph. 
Oh, Disney's you know what? At- yeah, I th- you're right. You're right. Okay, yeah, it is It is fully Disney. I think what especially threw me off was that John Lasseter is the executive director of that movie, and John Lasseter used to be, like, for a long time, used to be one of Steve Jobs' right-hand men. And jo- Steve Jobs used to run uh, Pixar. Yeah, in, in this day and age, it's, uh, it's kind of a fine line because Disney does fully own Pixar now, but... But they're still separate entities within the same company. Yeah, and I and I thought it was particularly striking how very little indication that Disney was involved is actually in the movie. You have just the intro credits, and then that was that's pretty much it. There's nothing else that hints that it's Disney. There's one thing about it that you could tell that makes it where uh, it's quite obvious that it's not a Pixar film because every Pixar film has a cameo from a character in the next Pixar film, some hidden somewhere in the film. Oh. And uh, John Ratzenberger always has something to do with the movie at some point. I don't know about that second one, but it does seem to be hold fairly true for most of the films. But, wow. So, uh, yeah, and also and more, more stuff to kind of flesh out the game itself. One thing to note is that Fix-It Felix Jr. and Ralph are never on the same tier Okay, the same, the same floor. floor. Yeah, because Ralph, on the at the very beginning of the game, he starts on the fifth level, and that's where he stays. And he's throwing, a, he's pounding bricks down that break windows. You're pretty much limited to the first through fourth floors. You can't get up to Ralph. You, it's just impossible. But once you clear those four floors, then you and Ralph both move up four floors. One thing that threw me off the first time I, uh, the first couple times I played this, because I thought it was just going on and on, and it didn't seem like I would ever reach the top of the building. And then it occurred to me, if you look, we're on the floor that Wreck-It Ralph is on. If you're at the top of the building, all of the windows will be fixed. There will be nothing wrong with them. But if you still have floors to go, there will be a few broken windows on that particular floor. So if all of the windows are in good shape, if they're fixed, you know, on the same level Wreck-It Ralph is, that's the last screen before the uh, inhabitants of the building throw Ralph off. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh, and by the way, a little strategy thing here. This took me a while to recognize. In fact, I think it was uh, the first time I was playing this, Scott Lambert was kind of watching over, the owner of Underground Retrocade, he was kind of walking around. He was watching me over, watching over my shoulder what I was doing, and I could not figure out why I was not advancing. He pointed out that the window on the main entrance, the door, was broken. Yeah, you got to so watch, you gotta out, watch for out for I've, that. The- and the big window above it, too. Yes, I've had to go back and uh, and fix that um, fix that a couple of times before I could move on. You got to watch out for that. And you know what? What really gets me mad? There are times. I mean, I'll have to try it again I'm, next time I go to Underground Retrocade because I I just can't. I can only find the Flash version. I can't. I hate the Flash version. <laughs> Underground Retrocade's version is much better. And of course, anyway, anywhere else I would have a, a a cabinet. There are times when there is. A window that is broken that is literally impossible to get to because it's surrounded by piles of bricks and if you try to walk across a pile of bricks you die you have to be super Felix you have to have the you have to eat a pie first before you can cross into that and if there's no pie coming out then you're stuck I am biting my tongue the only way out is suicide (laughs) ignoring the comment We never claim to be family friendly here. Yeah, let's let's not get into that. Oh, by the way, scoring, by the way. You get 100 points yeah. for every window that you fix. 100 points per window. And when you complete fixing all the windows on the four floors, 
that are on the screen, you get a 500 point bonus. If you grab a pie, you don't get a bonus, but you just become invincible for a short time and you get a little alert letting you know when you're about to turn from Super Felix back to, I guess, Standard Felix. And you get a bonus life every 5,000 points. Oh, and a fun fact. In true retro fashion, there is a kill screen on Fix-It Felix Jr. It is an intentional kill screen, by the way. It's not a real glitch. Do tell. If you clear 39 levels, of course, what's going to happen is you get to the top, you get your medal, you get your pie, and all the residents of Nice Land, they cheer for you and everything, and then they throw Ralph off the building. After Ralph hits the ground... The screen goes black, and it's filled up with 022-01121. It kind of looks like if you ever load up a game in MAME, or if you reset an actual arcade game, you have all those uh, uh, wacky letters and numbers that kind of scroll across the screen for a few seconds. It looks kind of like that. So that's what the kill screen looks like. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I think what happens is, after that, uh, all those 022-01121s, uh, appear across the screen. What happens is the machine reboots. Aha! Uh-huh. That's from what I can tell. And also those numbers, 0220-1121, I think that's kind of a hidden reference to something because in the movie, at least on the DVD, when you are clicking through the menu of the DVD, it shows uh, um, a high score of 110,212. So it has those same digits, kind of, sort of. And that happens to be the release date in the U.S. of uh, Wreck-It Ralph, November 2, 2012. So there's that little uh, hidden connection there. Ah. I know. I did not know that. The more you know. So, very, very interesting. I am just dripping with sincerity tonight. It's just oozing out every pore. Oh! With all of this. Oh! Some other things to mention. I I think there is a a Genesis homebrew of Fix-It Felix Jr. I was just going to say, I don't think there are any homebrews of this game. In fact, yes, there is one one of Fix-It Felix Jr. Fascinating. Now, obviously, there are Wreck-It Ralph games. Yeah. But that's not the same as the Fix-It Felix Jr. game. But yeah, you can find... In fact, somebody on Atari... We should put a link to this in the show notes, too, but somebody on Atari Age put a link to a uh, one of the PC versions. I don't know if it's the Flash version or the Fuller version. You need a PC to run it, so if I want to run it on my Mac, I have to do it in a virtual machine or boot into Windows or something. Um, and in that thread, that's where there is a Genesis homebrew. Uh, there's a video of the, of the Genesis homebrew, and it looks really nice, so... Hopefully, uh, that's going to be findable. Now, the thing is, there is pro- there probably actually is a MAME ROM floating around somewhere because there are YouTube videos. Of, there's at least one U- YouTube video of a guy playing it in MAME. And everybody's uh-huh. like, where'd you get the ROM? Where'd you get the ROM? No answer, of course. Now, that having been said, the more recent versions of MAME do emulate consoles. They yeah. did kind of merge the mess project with MAME. So, to get... Uh, what is essentially a PC game running through MAME isn't as... Um, Rutabaga. Isn't as potato, isn't as uh, impossible as it might seem. So, you know, there is always a possibility that could be true, could be a lie, I don't know. But worst case scenario, you can always go to games.disney.com and, and load the game there, uh, you know, play it in your in your web browser. I mean, it's the basically the same game as you will see on 
the cabinet if you happen to buy a arcade that actually has one of the machines. Yeah, and if it's not on the Disney site, because again, they retired the game and they pulled the game it's from a lot of sources. It's definitely on the Disney site because okay. it's definitely on the Disney site because I was playing it yesterday. Okay, yeah, and if you can find a way to download it and and keep it permanently, I recommend you do before they take that away too. It used to be available for iOS and I think Android, and not anymore. Can't get it anymore, which is a shame because I actually downloaded it a while ago and uh, I deleted it eventually when I was purging my phone, and now I can't get it back because it's not available anymore. It's like, what, really, it's like really, I can understand if you want to cease development on it, but man, leave it there for people who still want it. You know, you know, historical sort of thing. Yeah. You know. And that's what's crazy. Everybody says, oh, don't put stuff on the internet if you don't want it to be there forever. Yeah, it's it seems to me that the things that you want are somehow eventually unfindable on the internet. But man, if you post something that you... Like, if you accidentally post a naked picture or something, it will never go away. As I said, we, were ne- we never said we were family-friendly. I'm trying to think of another Who reference, but I can't think of one. So you can't explain? No. No. Hmm. No, I can't. I just, I'll just have to get on that magic bus. <laughs> you better, you bet. So I guess you're just going to a quick one while he's away. Okay. Um, as for high scores, now this is the, the interesting thing, both understandable and not understandable, is that I couldn't find any scores whatsoever on Twin Galaxies. Uh-huh. I understand why it wouldn't necess- why they wouldn't consider it an arcade game because in a way it's not um because it's really just a PC game, but it's not even listed as a PC game on Twin Galaxies. So either they don't accept submissions for Fix It Felix Jr. or they just haven't yet for whatever reason. Arcade.com, however, they list two different versions, the Flash version and the non-Flash version. And what's interesting is uh, Underground Retrocade has the record on both of those. In fact, I think what happened was uh, Underground Retrocade's cabinet shipped with the Flash version, and it was eventually upgraded to the non-Flash version. Uh, but April 14th, 2013, which would have been when Underground Retrocade was still in their old location in East Dundee, Oscar Gallegos scored 822,000 which nowadays is impossible, at least on the non-Flash version, that is, an, that is not a possible score because of the level 39 kill screen. Huh. On the non-Flash version, Paul Kowalishin, I'm guessing is the pronunciation there, 295,900 scored October 13th, 2014, also at Underground Retrocade. Now, that seems a little bit more like he would have gotten to the kill screen, because I do believe that the scores when people get to the kill screen are usually in the 200,000 range. Uh Uh-huh. In the 200,000 neighborhood, I should say, not range. Well, I don't think I'm good enough to get to the kill screen myself, but... uh, No, I'm not not either. My highest score so far is only 42,800. What's interesting is... That is from March 15th, 2014, so well over a year and a half ago. I can't believe it's been that. I thought I've played it since, and you. And this is one of those games where every time I play it, I do better. So I'm surprised I haven't played this thing in such a long time, given how many times I've been to uh, Underground Retrocade. Oh, yeah, and uh, I told Scott over there how I'd never seen Wreck-It Ralph. He said, how is that possible, How, given how many times we screen it over here and how many Saturdays you've been here? <laughs> But yeah, I just never saw it. I never saw it until literally the last two days. But I'm glad I did. It's definitely a very good movie, and I suggest everybody, uh, if you have even a passing interest in 
uh, arcade gaming to see this thing. It's it's a very very good movie. Yeah, absolutely. My only complaint about it is even though it has a lot of uh, cameos from classic arcade characters. Uh, they don't really have much to play in the plot other than kind of like background characters, the ex- possible exception of Cuber. Well, I actually like it for that because it's about these characters. It's about Ralph. It's about Felix. You know, you don't want to give too much attention to the other ones. You just want to kind of have like a little bit of a tribute, and that's pretty much it. And by the way, as I was saying before, Fix-It Felix Jr. seems to be like a combination of a lot of things. There's the obvious Donkey Kong connection. I thought perhaps Donkey Kong Jr. too because of the birds going by. But the thing is, I also remembered there are birds in Crazy Climber. And the building kind of ah. the building kind of resembles the building that that's in Crazy Climber. It's very, very, very tall and narrow. So, and even though you don't have to really worry so much about climbing and falling off, I mean, the only way to fall off the building is to cross a pile of bricks without being invincible, without being Super Felix. But uh, yeah, there's there's so much going on. There's there's Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Junior, especially with the magic hammer. There's the uh, more Donkey Kong there. And, of course, Crazy Climber, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I'm wondering, normally this is the part of the, the show where we rate the game uh, based on a kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of a Floor's pointless, uh, kind of a pointless continue system. Uh, I don't know if we really can rate this game, just because of the fact it never was really, there were at least six machines that were released to arcades Mostly went to Disney parks, if I'm not mistaken, but they have found their way to arcades since then. I don't know if we really can really rate this. Um, I, I seem to remember you were reluctant to talk about Fix-It Felix Jr. because of that. Yeah. And, and, and of course, this is by about 20 years the newest game we've talked about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I, but the thing is, man, I insisted. That's pr- pretty much why we, why we did this episode for... The, well, that's pretty much why what, we did though, this game for this episode, because... Basically, I wouldn't shut up. I kept saying, I really want to talk about Fix-It Felix Jr., and, and so that's and why I, we did uh, it. And it's, it's basically payback for me insisting on talking about Tinkle Pit. I wanted to talk about Tinkle Pit, too. Well, but I'm the one that told you to play this, and... Yes, you did. Now I gotta you know. play Uncle Pooh. <laughs> that's a fun game. They were talking about that, but our, our friends over at Ten Pens Arcade uh, talked about that game recently, and... Uh, uh, they loved it. The very next episode, they talked about the game Tudoncom, and they hated it. Uh, <laughs> so, but um, I don't. Well, I, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to rate this. I mean, this go is going it. to be. It's kind of unusual because you know, yeah, you might argue that it's not a real game, but in a way, it is. One source I was looking at pointed out how it's actually more advanced than a game from the 80s would have been because there would have been some color limitations and things. And there, this True. is a very colorful game. But given that, number one, it had me fooled the first time I saw it. I really thought it was a real game. I thought it was a Nintendo game that I had uh, missed. By the way, it's worth noting that the marquee on the game lists Toby Comey as the manufacturer, Ah, which is not a real company, of course. Uh, Toby Comey, by the way, is a Japanese word that has several different meanings. I think like jump is one of them. I think leap and dive might be one, uh, might be other meanings. So it's interesting that they chose that name. But the fact that this game had me fooled, Disney had me fooled. They, I really thought this was an actual game from the eighties, and that it's a really well done game. It's it is a very good game. There's no doubt about it. It's a fun game. 
and it's one that I definitely go back to quite a lot. If I'm an underground retrocade, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to take a swipe at that, although it looks like I haven't for over a year and a half, judging from arcade.com. <laughs> but I, I really do highly enjoy it. You know what? This is going to be one of my rare fives. Oh, well. Well done. There you I go. I wish I knew who the developers were. I could not find that information. I could not find huh. that information anywhere. Who actually you know, did the programming? No, no, I think about it. I did not see that information at the uh, the Disney site either. Fascinating. Maybe they consider it just to be like the right the screenwriters or whoever came up with the, the plot of the movie itself. That could be. That could be too. Um, you know what? I'm I'm going to abstain from rating this. Okay. Uh, I I to, to me, and I don't think it's a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. But I I I don't know. It's. It just seems to me that it's it's its only reason for existence was for the movie, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it wasn't a game from the classic era. It, it hits all the right notes. It's a fun game, and it looks like it's something from the classic era, right down to the cabinet, but it's not a classic game, and because of that, it has some more... As you were saying, the uh, it's more colorful than a game from that era yeah, it would has be. that unfair advantage. Yeah, so I, I'm going to abstain from rating this, but I will say, definitely, if you see one, play it, by all means. It's a fun game. You could basically play it online. Yes. It's still not the same experience as, as... It's not the same experience as playing it in an arcade, but it's still a fun game in its own right, but I'm not going to rate this one. Okay, fair enough. So, with that, I think the uh, the theme for today's show is pretty obvious, these are games that involve climbing. Climbing specifically a tall, narrow building. Yes, a tall, narrow building. Oh, and it just so, occurred to me, Crazy Climber and Fix-It Felix Jr., they also have kind of... Do you remember a game called Crackpots that Activision made? Yes, I do it remember that, that one. Kind that was of a fun vibe game. Of that. I, I love Crackpots. Yes, I, I like that game. I should, in fact, I might play it tonight, Ooh. maybe tomorrow, because it's starting to get yeah. late. <laughs> but anyway, uh, um, should we tell the uh, nice people and the evil people uh, what's in store for the for episode 19? Oh, by the way, don't forget, if you would like to contribute for our final show of the year, uh, which I guess will be kind of a holiday show in a way, sort of, kind of, maybe, feel free to do that. We're welcoming audio contributions. You will hear our booth announcer say the various methods of contacting us, as usual. Um, so, if you have any specific, like, arcade memories you wish to go by, and by arcade, it doesn't have to be limited to an actual video game arcade, you know, because, like... Or necessarily a game we've already talked exactly, about. Exactly, yeah. Because, I mean, hey, some of the games that we we shared memories of were memories we first played, say, at Sound Investment or Hunk's Pancake House. Those aren't arcades. Or Kroger, even, you know. But if you'd yeah. like to uh, mm-hmm. participate, by all means, please do. We will certainly welcome um, audio submissions, textual submissions, and uh, and whatnot. Heavy on the whatnot. So you were saying, uh, telling the the good folks and the evil folks about what uh, the games are going to be having in our next episode. Uh, rather, I think I will tell the ambivalent people instead. Oh. And all of our ambivalent listeners, the two games we're going to be talking about next time around are Pengo... And Ladybug. 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 So with that, we all bid you a fond farewell and adieu. Uh, Once again, Morris, Illinois, you know me. I hope you love me, Jimmy G. And Chicago, Illinois, um, sounds like beer, um, Sean. And we will see you next time. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. 
opening and closing theme is the Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via the Facebook page, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or the show notes page on PieFactoryPodcast.com. This is Pie Factory Podcast. Mmm, steak. Yeah. yeah. Steak? Money's too tight for steak. Steak? Yeah, steak. Anyway. Four minutes ago, John Hruza successfully completed his marathon of playing every game at Galloping Ghost. Yay! And now Danielle Robbins is going to stream Flicky. Ladies and gentlemen, Conway Twitty. And we are all about the law. In fact, we heed every single one of the FBI warnings, warnings in video games. That's right. And yep. we have never once rebroadcast or disseminated the events of a Major League Baseball game without express written consent of MLB either. Well, maybe that one occasion. I did get implied oral consent once, and I was very tempted. But That was a police squad joke. <laughs> like, if you accidentally post a naked picture of your grandmother or something, it will never go away. Wait, there's naked pictures of your grandmother on the internet? I said your grandmother, dude. Phil, Mr. No Swear, do you mind that I comment one by one on the games that I missed? Or do you prefer that I do it all in one swipe? Comment one by one on the games that I missed? Or do you prefer that I do it on the games that I missed? Or do you games that I missed? Or do you 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 missed? Or